When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Hot Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing Ange Postacoglu's first week on the training pitch at Hotspur Way, then also the latest on the transfer agenda ahead of the new season. Alice the Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It kind of still feels like we're in this positive Definitely, I suppose you could say honeymoon phase at Spurs with Postacoglu and everyone's excited and players are coming through the door, new and old. Um, and yeah, at the moment, I think it's the absence of football. <laughs> We've got no results to grumble about yet or anything. And, and actually, yeah, people are kind of seem to be quite excited again, which is quite nice because let's be honest, um, it hasn't been too great, the stuff we've been talking about over the, the last 18 months or so. So yeah, that's not the worst thing in the world. But also, we're a little bit happy because we um, finally found out, this is a strange thing, but for some unknown reason, we haven't exactly known how big our podcast audience has been. Uh, we haven't been able to get exact numbers. We've been getting kind of slightly some rough ideas from various places because there's so many podcast platforms that people can listen to us on. So for anyone out there, Guesty and I, you know, we, we did genuinely have a conversation a couple of weeks back like, what if we're only talking to like 12 people and like most of them are our family? <laughs> it's like, we just like, ah, whatever. We're enjoying ourselves anyway. But we actually found out in the last couple of days, it's literally hundreds and th- hundreds of thousands of people um, have been downloading this podcast, uh, which is fantastic. So no, just a massive thank you straight off the bat to anyone that kind of listens to us. Um, and yeah, there's not just 11 others of you, which is is great to hear um so yeah it's 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 nice that people are listening and hopefully enjoying what we're uh talking about and and the way we just try to dive into everything to do with this crazy football club um and we will continue to do that but yeah no thank you very much everyone yeah right uh before we get into Tottenham Hotspurs first things first Ali how was uh, your day as part of the BBC's Wimbledon coverage yesterday <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you know what? I just thought, because obviously there's this whole day off thing with me and, and, and silly stuff that sometimes happens with Spurs, I just thought, I'm going to go enjoy Wimbledon, just have the day there, go and watch some of the like, stuff on the courts, the outside courts, nothing big and everything. And then first game I'm in, 
there's obviously there's a protest that runs on and I'm thinking, oh, the way I've sat myself, I'm kind of right behind the players, um, co- uh, the coaches and friends and all that. It was accidental. I'm not part of any of the, the, it was Dimitrov at the point. I'm not part of any of his coaching staff or friends. Um, and I was like, oh, right. Okay. I'm in the background of that already. I started getting tagged on Twitter. Then I had to move along a bit when loads of new people came in and I moved out and just the way it happened to be, I ended up being sat right behind Katie Bolter, the British women's number one, with no one in front of me either because it was where the ball girls and ball boys would normally sit. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no. So when the camera pans to Katie Bolter, I'm now going to be behind her. And people are going to think I'm deliberately just sitting behind anyone that might get me in the way of a camera. And it seriously was not. I just wanted to enjoy my day off and not get tagged on Twitter. And then lo and behold, there's more protesters that come along. Um, and yes, my phone on a what was meant to be a very quiet day off was blowing up because people are like, you're on the BBC, you're on this, you're on that about the protest. I was like, oh, man. Um, but yes, no, my friend who was there with it, he enjoyed it anyway. He was certainly uh, suddenly became a, a bit of a, a minor uh, Z-list celebrity uh, for the day. Um, yeah, I, I love. I really enjoy going to Wimbledon. It's such an amazing place. It's so different from the football matches that we cover. Um, it's like uh, in football, you're kind of in a bit of a bubble, aren't you? And it's just that's it. It's the game. Everything's very focused on on what you're you're looking at. Whereas with Wimbledon, it's like a it's just an experience, isn't it? There's so much to go and do and see, and you can dip in and out of different matches. And there's a, such a relaxed vibe there as well. Um, that was very cool. Very different diversion to uh, my normal life in football. Right, let's move from SW19 and we'll go back to N17 then and we'll start discussing the world of Tottenham Hotspur. Smooth, yeah. Yeah, very smooth. Right, so firstly on the agenda today is Ange Postacoglu's first week at Hotspur Way. Obviously, he signed a four-year contract at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium the start of June. Uh, last week, we discovered who his coaching team is going to be uh, for the forthcoming season and beyond. And now they've been at Hotspur Way uh, putting in the work from Saturday with a number of the first team uh, squad also involved uh, doing their first few tests and then getting down to work on the training pitch. Not everyone's there at the moment. Obviously, there was a lot of international football in June, a lot of it going on, you know, beyond the midway point of June. So those players have three weeks off. So I think it's from next week when we'll see the likes of, you know, Harry Kane, Richarlison, Dan Kulaseski, Ben Davis returning to training. But there's still a good chunk of players there for Postacoglu to work with at the moment. And a number of youngsters, as is always the case in Tottenham training, you know, have stepped up and they're trying to catch the head coach's eye. Uh, so, Ali, obviously you've been reporting on the first week back at Hotspur Way. I think it's fair to say the players involved in the sessions, you know, have been impressed by the new manager. Yeah, well, the first thing we do whenever there's a new manager in, we kind of obviously leave it a few days and then we just put the feelers out to every possible person that might have kind of come into contact with them, involved with them. So, yeah, in the days since he properly got into it in pre-season, I've spoken to people within the club, uh, people that are kind of involved in some of the stuff that he's been involved in as well, uh, speaking to anyone around players and everything. And it gives you a really nice kind of blanket view across because obviously you 
can end up with people saying, oh, yeah, of course you're going to say that it all is bright and rosy kind of thing. That's what the club want people to say or whatever. But that's not really the way you do it as a journalist. You know, you're not just going to hear like one voice, someone coming out from the club and going, yes, all is well. That's it's not really the way journalism works. If we, we just did that, we wouldn't be doing our jobs properly. So, yeah, I just I spoke to a very, very wide spectrum of of people involved or involved with people that are involved. Uh, and you know what? This is probably the first time I, I can genuinely say, certainly for a long time, that everyone is very, very impressed. It's been a blanket, 100%, yeah, this guy is good kind of thing. Um, a real excitement around a lot of the players as well. Um, he's just made a really kind of quick, positive impression on people, especially the players as well. A lot of the players... Um, very enamoured with with what he's been doing, with the way uh, he does things. It, it's interesting because a lot of the stuff that you and I have kind of been writing about, researching about him, is very much coming into play. We're seeing a lot of it and hearing about a lot of it already within Hotspur Way. So Postacoglu is a very strong communicator. Um, the players, and whether they're young or old, they're very... Um, quickly understand what he wants from them is the best way to put it. He's a very clear speaker. Um, it leaves you with no doubt what he expects of you, not only on the pitch, but what he expects off the pitch as well and, and how he'll need his players to act and, and the character they need to bring. Um, I think he said beforehand, didn't he, that when he goes into a new club, he always likes to tell a story. That's how he always talks to the players for the first time. It's, it seems to be that that's what's happened again here. Um and just telling the Spurs players the way he wants them to play football next season. And anyone that has listened or knows the Postacoglu way of football now, any footballer hearing that is going to be excited by it. They just are. Because it's a way of football that when they were kids, this is the way he sells it. When they were kids, it's the way they dreamed of playing football. Let's be honest. No footballer dreams up, dream, uh, grows up dreaming, oh, do you know what? I really hope that we can just get that ball occasionally and counter-attack and, 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 you know, get up that pitch. No, they don't. They grow up thinking, I want to score loads of goals. And that's really what the Postacoglu whole system is designed to do. Um, and the training sessions, the words that I keep hearing are upbeat, bright, words like that, very clear structure to them, lots of drills. Um, I know they've already had at least one full-sided match as well with academy players making up the numbers because, like you say, there's not a full squad there yet. Although, it's quite a decent squad. That, that shows you how, I guess you could almost use the word bloated Spurs squad is right now, that you haven't got all the key internationals back yet. You've got a very big squad already. Um, and yeah, it's... Uh, the coaching staff are huge. Obviously, you've got Chris Davies, his senior uh, assistant uh, head coach. You've got Matt Wells, um, Ryan Mason, of course, Milia Yedinak, uh, Rob Birch, the goalkeeping coach. Um, and, and again, this is another thing that we knew was going to happen. It's proved to be the case at Spurs. It's pretty much his big Ange sets out exactly what he wants from Tottenham and what he wants his coaches to do. He infuses that into his coaches. Although, let's be honest, all of those coaches very much have a similar philosophy to him, so which would have been much easier for him to get those things across. And then what he does is they'll go away uh, a lot of a lot through Chris Davies, of course, as a senior man. But drills will be set up, arranged. They'll all be run through uh, Postacoglu. 
And then, yeah, essentially, as long as they are producing what he wants as the end result, he kind of gives quite a lot of autonomy to his coaches. And that's what you'll have seen. And I think that's the surest way to get coaches really excited as well because they almost feel like they're they're managing as well. Um, and that's the key thing I keep get, getting told about him as well is that he's not a micromanager. He does not want to be involved in every single tiny detail. He wants an overarching view, like the training sessions. You'll have probably seen this in the videos and, and uh, photos already. He prowls around the outside of the, the training uh, sessions. He, you won't see him getting in there, interrupting things, stopping people. He will be watching, and you'll see him write stuff in his notebook, and then afterwards he will either speak very briefly to individuals or he'll tell the coaches, right, this is what I want you to work with them on because coaches will be given uh, a bit like kind of teachers in like a, I guess, a preschool setting that they will be given a group of key children, but (laughs) key players that they will be working with uh, in all these different groups. And then he will obviously pass on what he wants worked with with them. Um, And yeah, it's, it's, it's really quite fascinating really as well. the coaching team as well. I've had a few people call them. It's brilliant. There's the word I keep getting heard about uh, them as well because he's built this team of really young and hungry coaches as well. I know I've actually saw some people thinking that was a negative, like, oh, you know, but a lot of them, they'll want to be managers and they'll be gunning for his job. It's like, well, no, they'll all be trying to be hungry and ambitious and show that they can be a manager. Not that, you know, they're going to undermine anyone. Completely opposite. They want to show... And yeah, from the sense I get, I think a lot of the coaches have been very impressed with him and what they've been asked to do. Uh, there's some nice quotes, actually, there were about his coaches. And uh, if, it's on London if people haven't read it, about kind of why he puts together new coaching teams and why he's really happy with the, the band that he's put together right now with the young coaches. Um, and yeah, he'll only interject occasionally when he really feels that something needs to be said. Again, if you're not aware how these training sessions work, Certainly during the season, they're 60 to 70 minutes long to mirror the exact amount of time that a ball is in play during matches, which is roughly 60, 70 minutes. Then pretty much non-stop other than the odd quick drinks break. Um, as I say, he doesn't like to go into them and stop them and say, this is what you're meant to be doing because he doesn't feel that that's realistic. He wants, before a session, the players should know everything they're about to do in that session and go through exactly those motions of what he wants. Um, so there shouldn't really be a need to interject, just mainly drills and drills. And obviously, pre-season is going to be a little bit different because there's going to be certain things they're going to need to take on that they didn't know before. But once the thing gets up and running, that's how it's going to be. Um, those behind the scenes, away from the pitch, um, very much the sense I get from people that he's trying to get everyone to pull in the one direction. Um not the band or the former band, um, but actually all looking the same way and what they're doing, their communication. Um, people have labelled him a, a very strong communi- uh, communicator. One person told me he's very polite, friendly, and straight to the point without being rude, which, yeah, which is what probably most people would describe him as. Um, and, yeah, he's more, like I say, not a micromanager, a leader who understands people's roles and responsibilities and if he's happy with exactly what their end game is he just lets them crack on with it and and it's all for the benefit of the team um and yeah he's got like like we say he's got a big base to work with because you've got all those first team players and um 
You've got the under-21s who came back two days before that as well. And obviously, there's some very talented players in there and quite a few that have just signed some new deals as well. So you've got committed, hungry players looking to the future and trying to improve, impress Postacoglu as well. Um, and from what I understand, there's been a really clear dialogue between him and the academy so far, which is good. Obviously, that's a massive thing that the players now feel like there is a proper pathway to the first team. Because let's be honest... Certainly in the Antonio Conte era, it didn't really feel like that was that open, that pathway. And now it feels like that it's it's reopened again. Um, obviously, in practice, without European football, how that works is another thing. But we'll see. But uh, yeah, positive signs so far, really. I think that's obviously what you want, especially when you're coming in, into a job like that. I know everyone... You know, north of the border of a Celtic persuasion, absolutely adored uh, Ange. And it was the same with uh, the players as well. They love these training sessions. And I think Poster Coglu's made an immediate impact on Tottenham fans, especially with his first interview with the club. And yeah, he was always bound to do that with the players. So it's great that the players, you know, are enjoying these sessions. And hopefully it does bode well for the club uh, going forward. Uh, in terms of the players, who he's working with at the moment. As you were saying, there's a number of first-team stars, uh, quite a handful of youngsters as well. I'll run through some of those off the top of my head. I think the full goalkeeping department's there. There's Hugo Lloris, Fraser Forster, Alfie Whiteman, uh, Brandon Austin in terms of defenders, Jed Spence, Ryan Sessignon. Eric Dye returned, started this week. Obviously, he's had his own schedule Basically, after going undergoing surgery at the end of the season, uh, who else is there? Jaffet Tanganga's there, Sergio Reguion, uh, Emerson mid- Porro. Emerson Porro, yeah, midfielder. There's uh, Tangion Dembele, uh, <laughs> who made quite the entrance, let's say, uh, last Saturday. <laughs> He the, always uh, does, doesn't he? There's always something to talk about with Toggy and Nimbele. So I swear he that. probably just does it deliberately. It was just such an entrance, just getting out of the car. I think it was hood up, sunglasses on, uh, had a bag. Were you worried about what he was about bag. to say as well? Because you can just hear him go like, she, and he's like starts to say something. And I'm like, oh my goodness, please don't say the bad <laughs> word or anything like that. I don't think he was. I think he was just making, probably just exhaling. Um, but I was thinking, oh no, please don't come out of the car and swear. Um, it, it was just the walk what got me. Yeah. It was just the walk from the car into the training ground. It was brilliant. Uh, so others who were there, uh, I don't think there's many attackers there is there in terms of the first team established ones it's only do you want me to run down only because Brian i've got Hill. the list right in front of me go on then. do you want me to run down them really quickly go on, uh then. so again sorry these are ones this is going to say ones that we've already had but larice basuma dia poro emerson on spence hill sessignon regulon forster tanganga divine scarlet parrot white austin whiteman obviously benton Kerr was back doing some rehabilitation as well do you know the one... Actually, I was just about to say, only because you mentioned his name, Fraser Force is quite interesting. We've seen him arrive, but I haven't actually seen him in any of the videos and stuff since. I saw him doing some gym stuff in like some of the photos, but I haven't seen him out on the training pitches yet. But then it might be that they just happened to show Whiteman and Larice in the 
goalkeeping bits. Yeah, or well, a couple of others who have obviously seen in the training photos, but not in the videos. Jed Spence, Ryan Sessignon. I don't think I've seen those two out on they the training pitch. They've just come back from injuries, haven't That's they? That's what I was going to say. So it'll yeah. be a case of just making sure they're right and then, you know, getting them on the training pitch. But no, there's plenty of, uh, you know, players for Ange to be working with at the moment. Yeah. And Papo Matassar is an interesting one because I just assumed in my head that he'd been called up for international duty. But when I looked up, I couldn't see that he was involved in the squad. So unless he's just been given a bit of extra time um, for some reason, I haven't noticed him in anything that's been done. And not that I'm a social media stalker or anything, but certainly he looked like he was kind of off and away somewhere else uh, in more recent uh, posts that he'd been putting up and stuff. So, yeah, it may just be that, I don't know, maybe he was involved in some way with international and maybe he'd picked up a little knock or something. So it could be anything quite simple as that. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see. It is um, it is a big contingent. And a lot of those like young players, like you say, have got a chance to impress. Yeah, and as is always the case on pre-season, a number of those youngsters do go away with the first team and you know, get an opportunity to play some minutes. I think Troy Parrott uh, did so last year. Charlie Sayers, one of the young defenders, he was on the tour of South Korea as well. And so far we've seen the Brooklyn Lions Foster getting a chance uh, in training under Ange. Uh, Iago Santiago as well, who, if you'd seen the training footage from yesterday, did manage to score uh a good goal in training. Uh, he's a good player. He's a he's a got plenty of talent. I'm surprised he hasn't really had more of a a look in at maybe getting the odd bench role occasionally when we had some injuries at Spurs. Yeah, uh, definitely showed his determination uh, to score. Uh, managed to rob the ball off Tangi on the belly and then got the better. I knew of, you were uh, going to say that. I knew you were going to diss Tangi. I'm just basically stating <laughs> what the video shows. He robbed the ball. What did the video next show Well, just let me finish this bit. Now we've gone to that. Uh, but yeah, Santiago robbed the ball off Endombele and then got the better of uh, Tanganga before finishing past Alfie Whiteman. And then, yeah, I'll move on to the next clip what was shown, which was a really, really good finish from Harvey White. Uh, Endombele, good bit of skill, used his strength to get the better of Alfie Divine. Then played it into Dane Scarlett who uh, played it into Emerson. And Emerson, someone not known for his crossing ability, delivered a very good ball to the back post. And as good as the cross was from Emerson, it was also a very good header from Harvey White past Hugo Lloris. So playing a lot of small-sided games, a lot of possession-based games. And, you know, uh, I think the fans... Mostly two-touch as well, isn't it, at the most? Yeah, fans have picked up on that. And I think they're enjoying what they're seeing in these videos. Yeah, I think, look, I get that some people said, yeah, but they would do that under Conte and Mourinho and stuff like that. It was more, I would say, and again, this is only on the limited stuff we could see because we must stress that we're not there in every training session. We get to see European training sessions for a little bit. They give us allow us a portion of that. Um, obviously, we're not going to get that this year. And we're in the on the tour in a couple of weeks time we'll see fair big old chunks of training out there as well again not every day but proper hour hour and a half blocks of them we get to see um in various cities so we get a good sense of it and, and we've got a good sense of of Conte's last year in Korea 
what I would say is I kind of feel like the two-touch stuff is is seeping more into the general training rather than just in – it's not just rondos and things like that. It, it seems to be a lot of the match replication is about two-touch football at the most, often one-touch. Um, so hopefully that is something that naturally kind of bleeds into the way they play. But yes, I am looking to um, bring back the Tongi on the Mele Appreciation Society. <laughs> I'm desperately hoping <laughs> – look uh, – I know that the the chances are against it um, because of uh, the past and the fact that he's he's had a few chances in the in the uh, in the past. But who knows? Who knows? With an attacking manager, you never know. Do you know what though? The guy that really, for me, just only purely on watching the the videos, and it may be that Spurs have have not shown him being absolutely appalling, but the player looks so sharp for me as Basuma. Oh my goodness. I mean, some of the touches he's taking, he looks, the biggest thing for me is he looks happy and full of confidence. He looks like he's in a system that is probably going to help him thrive as well under Postacoglu. Um, and there's one, there was one lovely turn he did in one of the videos where he just absolutely took about three players out with the one move. Um, it's all set up, isn't it, really, for Basuma to thrive this season, hopefully. Yeah, very much so. I think Ange's midfield set up uh, with obviously a number six who's going to have to drop back, get on the ball, you know, and then, you know, spray it wide uh, to the fullbacks and wingers. That's going to suit Basuma down to the ground because he played in that role during his final season at Brighton. And we definitely didn't see the best of Basuma uh, last season in his Tottenham shirt. Far from it. I think it was certainly restricted in terms of Antonio Conte's demands and. Obviously, the form of Rodrigo Benson, Kieran, Pierre-Emil Heuberg certainly didn't help his case in the first part of the season because those two were playing really, really well. And then, obviously, he had to go under the knife at the beginning of February, what uh, severely restricted his playing time in the second half of the season. And it was only really the final three games where he came back. But in those three games, he did make an impression. He looked more like the player we've seen at Brighton. And I think... Although it wasn't a good first season for him, at least he did manage to finish uh, the campaign on a positive note. And I think one of the things I've noticed from Basuma so far this summer, it's just it's the energy. He just looks really up for, the, up for it. You could see it in his first, uh, in the player entrance videos last Saturday when they were coming back to Hotspur Way for the very first time. He was just like ready, r- raring to go. And yeah, he... We've seen clips of it so far on the uh, training pitch, and I think there's a lot, lot more to come from him. Uh, I, I mean, Tottenham's transfer business last summer spent an awful lot on Basuma, Richarlison. We've not seen the best of them. I think we'll see the real players this season in Postacoglu setup. Absolutely. I mean, that's £90 million worth of talent there, isn't it? And obviously, Basuma was undervalued probably because of that. He was in the last year of his contract. So, yeah, if Postacoglu can get them right, then oh, it's such a cliche, but it's not, they're like new signings. But they kind of are because if you get the Basuma of Brighton playing under Postacoglu, you've got one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. You really have. He was so good at Brighton. Um, and do you know what? I, I also feel like he could play the number eight role as well if required. I think he's got the technical ability to do it and the way he can drive 
through the midfield as well. Obviously, we're not renowned for his finishing ability, but certainly in getting up there and supporting the attack, I think that's part of his his skill set. So, um, yeah, they've got some good players. And this is it does make me kind of think about the whole Hoybier situation. Obviously, Bentoncourt probably missing the first few months of the season um, makes it difficult to allow any senior midfielder to go without replacing them. But certainly, I think with the quality that Basuma has, and I have no doubt that Postacoglu would have swiftly realised that as well, Yeah, I, I do wonder where Hoybier is going to fit into that system unless he can become a number eight. Um, which, to be fair to him, he, he's shown that his attacking abilities have improved in the last season, definitely. I just feel like with the interest in Hoybier and maybe also some of the fan sentiment as well. I do wonder whether the fact that he doesn't also naturally fit the Postacoglu system, maybe this feels like a a point to part ways, especially with the two years left on his contract. Uh, you know, it could be wrong and it, and it could end up that when he arrives, Postacoglu absolutely loves him and his character. And obviously he's a, he's a winner. He's, he's a real kind of general type, isn't he? So Postacoglu may immediately click with him. But just when you're looking at the squad and you're looking at the players who maybe could be afforded to move on if they wanted to, and that may well be the case with um, with Hoybier. You know, there's sounds like there's interest from Atletico Madrid. I think Bayern Munich maybe were, were sniffing around him as well. If he wants to go, then I think he's a player you can probably afford to lose. And also you'd probably get a decent bit of money for him as well, which you could then reinvest into areas where you do need a bit more depth. Um, well, like I say, you're probably going to have to replace him with another midfielder anyway. Um, I mean, we know the various ones, you know, our boss Lee obviously wrote a story a few weeks back about Conor Gallagher as, as a potential as well and, and someone that Spurs were really interested in and, and Postacoglu. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's plenty of midfielders out there as well if you wanted to bring him because probably... You've got enough of the number six players, haven't you? Because Basuma, Benzenko and Skip can all play there. You probably would be looking for another Madison-esque type who could also be defensive while support the attack. Obviously, Tongi could play that role. Um, we'll, we'll see just quite what exactly what happens with him in the weeks to come and how he hopefully throws himself into Postacoglu football. Um, obviously, Lo Celso is interesting. You'd imagine that that will come to fruition with the move away, you'd think. Um, Papa Matassar, you know, when he does uh, get involved in training, definitely his attacking ability means that he could be a very good number eight. But, yeah, I still think you probably could do with someone else. Um but yeah, Basuma, back to Basuma. I, I, I'm really hopeful that if he can steer clear of injuries, it's going to be a huge season for him. Yeah, just going back to Hoybjerg, it, it seems a bit mad that he could potentially leave Tottenham this summer. Yeah. And he, oh, start, agree, yeah. he started, oh, I think, 109 of yeah. 114 Premier League games since he's been at the club. Played every single minute of his first season. And yeah, I think, he, I think he maybe missed three last season, two the year before in the starting eleven. Mm. 
Uh, but what I would say, I agree with you on the two years left on his contracts. If you're going to sell him, and Spurs haven't always done this in previous years, and I think you did an article on this the other day that, you know, they've not made money on these big players when they maybe could They're have dreadful. Done. Yeah, They're dreadful at getting players out the door. Spurs can make a tidy profit, quite a big profit on Hoiberg this summer. But what I would also say is, if you're selling him and you mentioned that you need to bring in a replacement, what Spurs also need to do, they need leaders. Yeah. They need to bring in right. leaders because potentially Tottenham's leadership team at the moment is Hugo Lloris, Eric Dyer, Hoybjerg, Harry Kane. If yeah. you, you're in a position really where potentially all four could go. This summer. Step up, Oliver Skip. <laughs> yeah, because you've got three in the last year of the contract. We'd expect yeah. Hugo to go question marks of Eric Dyer and then obviously Harry Kane's been heavily linked with a move to Bayern Munich. Hoybjerg's been linked with a move away. Leaders is one thing Tottenham are going to need this summer, yeah. regardless. Yeah, it's a great shout. It is. Um, yeah, yeah, feasibly. You know, on paper, all of those could go. I think Dyer seems to have no in, uh, intention of leaving this summer. That's what I keep getting told. So it might be a, a tough one, unless Postacoglu really tells him well, you're not going to play. And that, you know, may well not be the case. Um, he's probably going to be sticking around. Yeah. And then, of course, we've got the Harry Kane situation, which is uh, is fascinating within itself. Um there's moments, I must admit, there are moments when I think to myself, oh, what if Tottenham do actually suddenly relent and just think, do you know what? If he if he does want to go, I, I get the impression that Harry Kane is probably not going to kick up a fuss because I think I've said this before, you'd have done that over Man City. You probably wouldn't do it with Bayern Munich, especially when you've got 12 months left and you can just say, well, next summer, stuff you I'm going to pick any team I want I don't really see the need to kick up a fuss this summer but it's just whether Spurs eventually if a bid were to come in that was big enough just to make them think for a minute at the moment the indication is that they're rejecting any possibility of it but if a huge bid were to come in and obviously the suggestion is that Spurs have um, offered or, or certainly put put it, put forward the suggestion of a, of a big contract for Kane which, you know, let's be honest, it'd be stupid if they didn't. <laughs> it would be one of the worst decisions ever if they didn't because he's got years left in him as well. Um, yeah, I guess it, it... I'd be shocked if Kane were to sign a new deal this during this transfer window. Um, I wouldn't rule it out entirely next season. If he suddenly falls in love with the way Postacoglu is doing stuff and he feels, you know what, actually we're on the road somewhere again, and it feels like maybe, you know, we could pick up a couple of one or two domestic trophies this year, maybe. Um, and, that, you know, and that's, we've said it in the past, how many of those is worth, let's say, the Bundesliga title? We've no disrespect to the Bundesliga and Bayern, because, but, but for Bayern, obviously there's, there's Dortmund there as well, but for Bayern, let's be honest, they are probably expected every season, a bit like PSG, to win their league title. Um, you know, it is still a competitive league and, and all of that, but ultimately Bayern are expected with their financial might to win it each year. Um, I just, it sounds, 
I don't know. I really don't want to be flippant about it because I do really appreciate how big Bayern are and how much you could do in the Champions League, for instance, if you go to Bayern. But I do kind of feel that would having the a Bundesliga title on Harry Kane's CV feel as big as, I don't know, let's say winning the FA Cup with Spurs next season? Um, I don't know if it would. I just don't know. I feel personally for him to have put all the effort he has into trying to drag Spurs up to another level with him. I kind of feel like if he were to lift aloft the FA Cup, probably as captain next season, you would imagine, if Hugo does head off, I think that would be huge. I think that would be such a massive thing. Um, But again, maybe I'm looking at it from more of an emotional point of view. Maybe there's a just a general overall silverware side of looking at it. I don't know. But um, yeah, the Harry Kane one, I really do feel is a, is a fascinating situation, the way it's going to work um, in the weeks to come. I'd love it if... <sighs> sounds awful to say for any Bayern fans, not that they're probably going to be among our hundreds of thousands of listeners, <laughs> as I just said earlier. <laughs> but um, I'd imagine... <sighs> Yeah, I, I just, I, I would probably love the scenario that Bayern just walked away at this point. I know from their point of view, I guess they might be fearing if he can sign a pre-contract in January, maybe it won't be with us. Maybe then you've got the likes of Real and Barcelona can come in these foreign clubs, and obviously six months later, it's it's game on for anyone. You know, a Man City, Man U, a, oh Chelsea. <laughs> it still makes me shudder to think about it, but you know. There's so many that maybe the pressure's on them. It's now or never um, in the the words of Elvis Presley. Um, But if they were to walk away and we had a much clearer view on what's happening next season, it would just be so much easier for everyone involved. I guess you could argue the other way as well. If he were to definitely be going, at least you'd know you could sort things out as distressing as it would be. I think if he was to go to Bayern this summer, it just feels like, moving for the sake of moving when really you yeah. could just set out your last year at Tottenham. You've got your pick of your clubs. He could go really well at Tottenham on the range, could win the trophy. He may decide then, right, I'll extend my stay. It just, I just don't see the appeal of buying personally. As big as club they are, I think if you're moving abroad, it's, surely it'd be real. Or Barca, but at the end of the day, it's Harry Kane's career. Uh, he'll make the choice. Obviously, if he's given the green light to go, uh, then you can't fault him for, uh, for whoever he picks. At the end of the day, it's his career. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But you know, fingers crossed, he will be still wearing the Tottenham shirt from August onwards. So Kane then next week when the rest of the international players start to, you know, return to Hotspur Way, there'll be the likes of Dan Kulaseski, uh, Richarlison, Ben Davis, Joe Roden as well. Uh, the James last, Madison. James Madison, yeah. Who's just become a dad to twins. Honestly, as a parent myself, I was thinking, oh my goodness, thinking back all those years to when the kids were young, what a nightmare that's going to be, heading off on a tour. Because he's heading off like for two weeks suddenly on a tour without, you know, and, and, and obviously having just had twins. And he's got a little boy already, I think it's maybe two or three or something. So 
I know his, I'm sure his, his partner will have help, but my goodness, as a, as a dad, that's going to be a wrench to suddenly leave them. Yeah, there'll be Guglielmo Vicario as well yeah. uh, coming to the club uh, next week. I think the two who are expected to be back late due to their international commitments this summer will be Destiny Yudogi and Oliver Skip. So that's going to leave them not. with it. Destiny, maybe not. The suggestions are he might cut it short. We're still waiting to see. It's up to him. He's got 21 contracted days if he wants to take a rest after his last, because they went out the group stage, didn't they? Yes, the European Under 21 Championships, Italy. Yeah, apparently with Destiny, there's a suggestion he may come back next week uh, just to make sure he's on the tour. Um, Yeah, one to keep an eye on with Destiny, but I can understand that as a new player wanting to come in there and Quickly impressed Postacoglu. Um, yeah, fair play to him if he does. But let's be honest, if he doesn't, it's, it's not the greatest deal in the world. He, he can kind of maybe catch up later in the tour, maybe join for the, the Thailand legs or the Singapore part. But yeah, there's a suggestion um, that he might head back a bit early. Yeah, obviously Oliver Skip still playing out in Romania and Georgia at the moment with England making the final of the under-21s European Championship they play Spain on Saturday. So then I think Skip's really going to have a decision to make, isn't he? If he does return yeah, a bit Tom earlier. Him, didn't he? Tom yeah. Barkley, our, our fellow Spurs correspondent, spoke to him out there. Yeah, he did. And uh, Skip was basically saying uh, he's gone, he'll speak with Spurs once the tournament's over and see what the club's plans for him are. But I'm just wondering, in terms of skipping the three weeks you get off after a tournament, there will have been a bit of a period for Skip and a number of the other England under-21 players when the Premier League season finished at the end of May to the start of the Euros. So does that maybe count as a bit of your time off? Because it's not like they've gone literally from Premier League straight to the tournament. Yeah, and what I would say with Skippy is he actually hasn't been starting many of these games out there. He's been mainly coming on um, and kind of shoring things up towards the end. So physically, he shouldn't be exhausted, but I can understand the need to have a little bit of a break. Um, Yeah, ultimately, it's down to him. He'll have the 21 days um, after that final, is it July the 8th? Yes. 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 So... Was that 21 days takes you to the 29th, um, which would be just after they return from the tour. So, yeah, yeah, again, it's down to him and, and uh, what he wants to do. And obviously, with a guy that's had a couple of injuries in the past, I suppose you don't want to overwork him. But then, like I say, he hasn't exactly been having lots and lots of minutes during this tour uh, tournament anyway. So we'll see. Yeah, like you said, he'll liaise with Tottenham, see what uh, the club's plans for him are. You know, it might be a case of Ange just saying to him, you've had a long season. Instead of coming straight onto the tour, maybe just have a week, 10 days, and then join up with us. Uh, but that's one of those things we'll have to wait and see what happens. Right, where quite a way past the halfway stage of the podcast. So Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Of course. If you are not aware already, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use their service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world. That means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. 
It's a service I've used many years, long before they became sponsors of our podcast. I would use it um, if I needed to on a holiday to watch stuff from back home that I hadn't been able to download or any kind of live events that I wanted to watch for services that I'd paid but you couldn't for some reason watch abroad because you can just switch your device to thinking it's back in the UK. It's very helpful. Um, and actually for work stuff as well was very helpful in the past as well. So yeah, it's a great service and it also allows you a lot of security as well when you're connecting to public Wi-Fi. It kind of locks out people or any kind of malicious things that might try and get in there and take stuff off of your devices. And not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So for example, let's say you could book flights from another country because that could be cheaper too if you were booking it from another place, making your device think that it was actually based in that other place. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you could be saving much more money overall. Uh, there's a whole host of other benefits to, from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's now time to discuss transfers. I think this is what everyone's probably been looking forward to and Tottenham so far made, you know, some quick moves in the transfer market, freeing through the door, soon to be four with Manor Solomon arriving as a free agent. Ali, are you happy with this deal? Think it's a good one? I think it's an interesting one. You're not counting Pedro Porro in your uh, in your new signings? Well, I suppose was, it was an obligation. It was obligation. It? So I think with Kuliseski, it was one Tottenham had a choice to make. Poro is pretty much mandatory. Yeah. So that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I, I'll, I'll accept that. Yes, I will. Um, Manor Solomon. Yeah, he's essentially for the deal it is, it's a bit of a no brainer, I think. I think, you know, bearing in mind it looks like it's going to end up being a, a free. A free transfer of sorts. I'm sure there'll be some smoothing over to be done with Shakhtar Donetsk because if you're not aware um, of how it all works, so <sighs> Mana Solomon's uh, was on loan at Fulham last season. His contract with Shakhtar Donetsk run or ran, or technically runs, until the end of 2023. However, what happened was, obviously, uh, when Russia invaded Ukraine... Um, the one of the byproducts in terms of football and contracts was that FIFA allowed non-international players, uh, sorry, non non-Ukrainian players playing abroad in the Ukraine were able to suspend their contracts. Uh, I think, if I'm right in saying that, it, they, that then got extended again, and they were able to do it for. Uh, it, however long it was, I think it actually ends up going into 2024. So ultimately for Manor Solomon, that means that the suspension goes beyond the end of his contract. So he could feasibly negotiate with other clubs. So obviously we saw a lot of, um, was it the president or the owner of Shakhtar? I can't remember who it was now, was, was coming out quite strongly and talking about legal action and if anyone did that. You would imagine the suggestion that it's kind of reached this advanced stage now means that there's been some smoothing over done. Um, and obviously people will have noted that uh, at the end of next month, no, sorry, start of August, um, there is the friendly against Shakhtar Donetsk, which obviously 
would seem odd if you had two clubs that were in war. Uh, sorry, war is not a very good word to use at all. Legal battles is the better word to use. Absolutely not talking. Not war between the clubs. Yes, well, I will retract that word very quickly. Um, but yeah, legal um, complications between the club. You would think you wouldn't have a friendly between them. <laughs> I've set Guesty off. I can see Guesty in the background. Yeah, the, the use of... Uh, I won't be using that word probably ever again in my life now. Um, but yeah, the friendly itself, um, you would think would not have come along had there not been some smoothing over already done between the clubs. And and obviously it is um, profits going towards uh, the benefit of Ukrainian people as well. Um, and yeah, we shall see what happens with Mona, uh, Mona Solomon, Mana Solomon. The indications were that he was going to be having his medical towards the end of this week. Um I was kind of obviously checking around this morning. It doesn't appear that it's going to be today, unless something changes as the day goes on. It, it didn't appear that it was going to take place today. Um, and as for him, yeah, on a relatively free transfer, it's a guy with – he's a winger, if, if people aren't aware, mainly plays on the left, but obviously can play in other positions if required. Got a bit of a turn of pace. Mainly it's about his dribbling. He's obviously very good on the ball. He has Premier League experience now with Fulham. He has Champions League experience with Shakhtar. Uh, Europa League, I think, as well. He's got, yeah, plenty plenty of experience. Uh, FA Cup experience as well. Had a little crazy run, didn't he, last season of five goals in five games. Four in the Prem, uh, one in the FA Cup. And actually, if you look at his Champions League goals he's a man for the big occasion. He scored once against Man City, twice against Real Madrid, and, and the other goal came against Atalanta. Obviously not quite as highly uh, rated opposition, but still, you know, another Champions League goal. Um, would I say that he's likely to come in and be a starter at Spurs? Probably not. Let's be honest, at Fulham, even after that little bit of a goal spree, he wasn't starting matches regularly for them. But he is certainly a potential game changer. Um, and I just think, as I said earlier, it's a bit of a no-brainer because he can be part of that squad. He can make an impact. I do think, like Lucas Moura, his main issue has been assists for me. I don't think he's assisted enough goals in his career as a winger. I think that's something that he could look to improve. Um, but certainly, if you're looking at your bench as a as an option to bring on, and who knows, he is still young. I mean, he turns 24, I've written it somewhere. I think it's quite soon, isn't it? He turns 24 later this month, actually. Um, there's still enough in terms of a, of a ceiling and room to develop and grow, and who knows, Postacoglu could turn him into a starting player. But, um, yeah, I think on every level it kind of makes some sense. It's a guy that can make an impact in Premier League games. He's got good experience. Will fit the attacking football that Postacoglu is going to try and bring. And if you want to look at it in a way that I know fans don't want to, but on a business point of view, let's be honest, even if it doesn't work out for him this summer, you're going to probably make a profit on him that can be ploughed back into the squad in other positions. But hopefully it does work for him. You know, there's a lot of... A lot of praise for him from um, from some that have seen him uh, play in the game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he had a bit of a mare last season, to be honest. He ro- he rocked up, and I think he played. He made his debut against Liverpool, and then they had a behind-the-scenes training ground friendly, which he really did his knee in, in. And I think he was out until January with that. 
So it wasn't exactly the best intro to Premier League football for him. And then I would imagine they were managing his game time a lot after that, which might account for the lack of starts. Um, but yeah, if you want someone who's going to terrorise tired defences late in games, I do think he could be a very good option for Spurs. I don't think he's the most eye-catching of signings, but it's a smart signing. Uh, he takes yeah. pl- plenty of boxes for Tottenham. And the fact he's on the free transfer as well, and as you were saying, if it don't work out, you can sell him for a profit next summer. But he's someone who's got Premier League experience under his belt. He'd probably had a bit more if it wasn't for that knee injury. Played regularly uh, in the Champions League and Europa League for Shakhtar Donetsk. If you've not seen his goals against Real Madrid, they will have a lot very good finishes to both of them. And he's also had a year working with Roberto Di Zerbi at, at uh, Shakhtar. So we know how yeah, Di Zerbi plays his football. Yeah. Uh, so that will certainly enhance his uh, attacking game. And yeah, Solomon, someone who mainly operates on the left, plenty of experience playing on the opposite flank as an attacking midfielder. He's right-footed, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, in, yeah, because yeah, there was two goals last season. What he scored, I think it was Leeds and Wolves, literally yeah. carbon copy, cutting in from the left, curling it into the bottom corner with the right. So that's something we could potentially see. Well, the inverted uh, version of Kulusevsky, similar thing. Yeah, uh, something we could potentially see next season. And I just think bringing in a young, hungry player, uh, I think it's a good move uh, for Spurs. Quite where this leaves Brian Gill. Who knows? Uh, that's one we'll have to wait and see. Uh, what Andrew Postacoglu decides with the Spanish winger because I think he's someone who needs to be playing his football. But, you know, if you're sending him out on loan again, is he ever going to play for Tottenham? Uh, yeah. So with Solomon coming in, obviously Kane, Richarlison, Son, Kulosevsky, question mark over Gill. Are we saying Spurs are pretty much set in terms of their attacking options going into the season? They could be. What I would also add to that is Porro as well can play as a further up right winger. Um, I mean, just to explain to people, when it comes to transfers, uh, Spurs and, and any, I'm sure, other Premier League club work on kind of three strands to their transfer windows. So what they do, first off, they've got their main priorities. And, you know, we revealed this way back. The, the priorities were a goalkeeper, two centre-backs, an attacking central midfielder, and a young winger. So you could say that out of the priorities... They've already done the goalkeeper. They've already done the um, attacking central midfielder in Madison. And you could probably maybe say Manor Solomon is is the young winger. It's a difficult one because technically he's also an opportunistic signing. Um, and that's the second category of the uh, second strand of Spurs transfer dealings, which is uh, looking at potential younger stars for the now and the future and securing them quickly and quietly and, and ahead of everyone else. And we've seen this in previous windows with Destiny Udogi, who we were talking about earlier as a great example, Pape Matassar, where you just see that there's a player who everyone is raving about and suddenly Spurs will very much try to keep a lid on it until it's so advanced that no one else can come in. Um, and then what will often happen is they'll, like we saw with both of those players, they'll loan them back. It keeps the fee really low down. I mean, both of them, you know, whether in the in the teens in terms of price rather than in the twenties or thirties or anything. 
because of that loan deal as well. And they're the kind of players that I'm pretty sure that we'll, you'll see maybe one or two of in this transfer window as well, that they'll try and tie up some more young talents. And like I say, Manor Solomon, he's right on the border of that. He's been 24 later this month. He's he's still kind of youngish, but I do think it's maybe more also the financial aspect of it as well marks him out as an opportunity, but he can also fill that role of, of the young winger that they were looking for for the priority thing. And then the third strand of the transfer window is replacing people that go because good bids come in but it might be in an area where maybe you're not quite as deep as you want to be. So Hoybier is the perfect example. If Hoybier goes, you probably need to replace him. Um, and if, you know, uh, certainly if centre-backs head out, I think definitely you have to, I mean, the aim is to get the two centre-backs, and I think that would require players going out as well anyway to make sure you weren't just kind of having players especially with no European football, sitting around playing nothing, no football at all. I mean, technically, I was looking at it, you could maybe end up with a scenario where you could even have to bring in three centre-backs if so many went out the door. I'd be surprised if there was such a mass exodus from the defensive positions, but you know, you can, you never know if offers come in. That's the key thing. And that is the thing that's always been Spurs' biggest problem is getting these offers in for players, which is maybe a damning recruit, um, damning indictment of the recruitment in the first place. I mean, I did that, like you say earlier, I did that piece the other day and I kind of used the hook of the Champions League side, the Champions League final team. If you look at that Champions League final team that Spurs um, in 2019, Pochettino put out there, of the starting 11, I can't remember the exact numbers in my head, but before Harry Winks left, they'd managed to get back at about 40 million. 40 million for a team that was good enough to get to a Champions League final. The bulk of the team left on free transfers. And Ericsson and Trippier, Ericsson was in his final six months. Um, you could even throw in Dembele had left just a few months before in the January because he was in the final months of his contract. Um, the only players still there from the actual starting 11 are Kane and Son. And, you know, like we've been saying, Kane, there's this possibility that he could end up leaving either on a free next year or, or this summer um sonny obviously doesn't look to be in the near future that he's heading off but then even on the bench i looked at the bench and there were about four or five players that left on freeze as well you had the likes of aurier and gazaniga and wanyama and players like that and and it just shows you how let's be honest appalling spurs are at getting money back for players um, whether you want to say that's because they keep them for too long, whether it's because they hold out for higher fees that never come, whether it's just the poor recruitment in the first place that other clubs don't want them. And sometimes it could be the wages. Sometimes Premier League wages are higher than a lot of foreign clubs will want to match, so they don't even make the approach in the first place. But other clubs just seem to be better at selling their players than Spurs do. And it, and it leads to so many issues in terms of upgrading and incoming players in, in the market. But uh, yeah, I just, I just find it a strange thing with Tottenham Hotspur. Right. We'll move back on to incomings now and we'll talk about the defence as that's very much the priority for Tottenham. In the transfer window, uh, there's, I think, three players they're very interested in. There's Edmund Tapsoba of Bayer Leverkusen. 
Mickey van der Ven of Wolfsburg and then Tosin Adarabayo of Fulham. I think a lot of people probably will know quite a bit about Tosin as it has been a regular in the Fulham team in the past. Uh, he's 26 in September. He's a homegrown player, bags of Premier League experience. It's in the last year of his contract. Could be a bit of a shrewd signing if they can get him through the door because you know, he's someone who's fast, he's good on the ball, so you'd imagine he does fit Ange Postacoglu's system. And then I think Mickey van der Ven is another one who would be perfect for Ange Postacoglu's system. And I think what van der Ven would give you, I think what something Tottenham would need, and I think what ideally most clubs would want is just balance in the centre-back areas because he's left-footed, he's this powerful player who is, I think, 22 been likened to Virgil van Dijk of Liverpool, another player who's good on the ball. You know, it's a leader as well. Captain Holland in the recent under-21s Euros. Uh, so certainly a player with a lot of potential. And there's Edmund Sapsoba who's well, who's, you know, and rave reviews for Bayer Leverkusen in the Bundesliga. So there's some good options there. It's just about Tottenham, you know, picking the right ones now. Absolutely. Um, feels like there's a real kind of heavy uh, reliance on data this time as well and really making sure that these are players that fit the system. And again, maybe that's been an issue previously that they weren't relying as heavily or the, or the data being provided wasn't as good for the analysts. Um, yeah, these three players, they all kind of fit the mould and what you would expect to fit the Postacoglu system. I get the impression that Tap Sober, from what I understand, was probably the preferred target, certainly to begin with, because he's more ready-made, a couple of years older. He's got like 100 Bundesliga appearances to his name, whereas Van der Ven, I think, has only got something like 38, I think it was. And, and obviously, he's also got Champions League and Europa League experience. He's got plenty of experience, despite the fact he's only 24, Tap Sober. But ultimately, that is also going to be reflected in the price. And it would seem, and we kind of said this early doors, that the tap sober price was always felt like it was going to be more. Uh, maybe some reports in Germany were putting him closer to the 50 million mark. Um, whereas with Van der Ven, it feels like you're looking more at 30, um, which obviously is a huge difference. I mean, Van der Ven, oh, I think everyone's probably seen that clip now of him chasing back to make this goal-saving kind of block I don't think I've ever seen a big central defender that fast in my life. It's just incredible. Um, he's just, yeah, a remarkable bit of chasing back. Um, and yeah, so he's more of the, the raw talent. Um, he's the one that is probably slightly more of a gamble because of that. Um, but both excellent players. Um, and Adarabayo as well. He... He was quite a, a presence for Fulham for a lot of last season. Really kind of made himself a, a permanent fixture there. And um, you would imagine, I think he's in the last year of his contract. I certainly know there's a real strong interest from Spurs in him as well. Last year of his contract, again, I'm just absolutely guessing, but maybe uh, there's been talk that maybe around 15 million or something like that, or maybe less which again, I know there's people that say, oh, it's the cheap option, but he's also the, I mean, if you're going to look at the David Raya uh, Vicario stuff, you could argue that Raya was 
the better option for some people because he was ready-made, had Premier League experience. Well, actually, if you're looking at those three, that's what Adarabayu's got. He he does have that Premier League experience and, and a fair chunk of it as well. Um, and he's used to dealing with these players. Was it, was it him that, I remember, I think it was reading that people said he marked Haaland out of one match against Man City. It, it, it could now. be, to be honest, yeah. it could be. I remember him getting praise for a, a game against City. I'm pretty sure it was because of the way he dealt with Haaland. But yeah, so yes, he may be the cheaper option, but I think that's more because of his contract situation than anything. A bit like we were talking about Basuma earlier. Um, I don't think, if they can get two out of those three in, I don't think they're going far wrong, to be honest. I think they all fit the system perfectly. The suggestion certainly in the Netherlands seemed to be um, that Van der Ven is pretty advanced between the player and the club. Um as in in terms of the players' camp and the club. Um, there was even, I saw one Dutch report suggesting that Postacoglu has already spoken to him. Um, Postacoglu, if it's if it's true, he's been racking up these Zoom calls, isn't he? He's, we know he did Madison and Vicario, and they were very impressed with him. Presumably he would have done Mana Solomon as well. You can just imagine him kind of rocking up, can't you, on your Zoom and g'day, mate. Like suddenly, uh, <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's a call from Ange Postacoglu. Um but yeah, it's it, it's just, I guess, Spurs deciding which ones they're going to press the button on, I suppose. Um, because yeah, it kind of got a bit excited about earlier in the week, didn't it? About, oh, it was done. And it was like, all the noises were at that point was that it wasn't that close between Wolfsburg and Spurs. Um, it may be that that changes. I, mean, I know the intention is to try to get a centre-back in before they head off on the tour just so that you know, can get working with them, uh, Postacoglu can. So it'll be interesting to see which one they go for first. The noises would suggest it's van der Ven in terms of the noises from the Netherlands. Um, but yeah, I guess it's a it's a case of, of which one they feel is the most important to really move for right now. And if they feel like Tapsober is not going to be... Um, I guess value for money is probably the way to look at it. A bit like with Raya and Vicario. Uh, maybe that you'll see them go for Van der Ven. But like I say, I, I, I don't think they go wrong if they go for at least two of these three players. Um, and then there's Clement Longley as well. Clement Longley, who Joan Laporta um, quite publicly has said he expects Spurs to, to uh, form an agreement with Barcelona to sign the Frenchman. Um, from the Spurs side of things, there seemed to be a little bit more of, well, we haven't actually decided yet. Um, that was the impression I was getting from speaking to various people in and around the club. It's an interesting one with Longley. I know there's been a... I think anyone associated with that defence last season is getting it right now. They're absolutely not flavour of the month because, yeah, I get it. They conceded 63 goals in the Premier League. It was disgraceful. So I think anyone there. But there's also... <sighs> Any player now in Spurs, you've got to look at them in a slightly different light of how would they operate in a Postacoglu team. And if Postacoglu, let's be honest, they're not going to just sign Longley for the sake of it. If they sign Longley, it will be because Postacoglu has said, yeah, he fits what I want. There's no need to sign him. There's no need to, we have to have him here. But from everything I understood about Longley was the fact that he was always seen as a very, as more of a steady player, more consistent maybe than some of the other defenders. And also a very good mentality behind the scenes as well. A proper, a real professional, someone that others could look to as a bit of a, 
as a guiding kind of figure in how to carry themselves, how to work and everything. So if Postacoglu feels that he's right, um, obviously you'd maybe have some concerns over when they play with a high line, which would be more frequently under Postacoglu. But I do think technically he probably fits Postacoglu very well in a lot of what he does. Um, but yeah, I'd be intrigued to see if Longley were to come in, whether it would be him and one of those others, or would it be two of those others with Longley because of him being a cheaper player? Um, and then maybe you allow Sanchez to go, Roden to go, maybe Tanganga. Tanganga obviously is a homegrown issue, but then you do have um, Adarabayu as well, obviously being homegrown. So he would kind of fill that gap in the Premier League because they don't have to worry about Guessing I love all of this. The ho- in, in Europe, obviously, there's different kinds of homegrown, whereas in the Premier League, there's not, is there? It's just pretty much homegrown or not. Um, so it wouldn't really matter this year for um, for what kind of homegrown player you've got there. So, yeah, I'd be intrigued to see how that works. Um, well, who would you like to see out of those options? I mean, who knows? There may be another left-field option that comes out of nowhere that we weren't expecting as well. Uh, I'd probably go for Van der Ven. Just reading up on him, what I've read, uh, seems a really good defender. Got the potential to be a very good uh, player. He's a leader. He's fast. As you mentioned, that clip, he, he, I think it was on the edge of Union Berlin's area. <laughs> Managed to get back. I mean, it's on the strike if not finishing it. I mean, why he didn't take that first time, I've no idea, but credit to Van der Ven, you know, for clearing it. Uh, I just think he ticks an awful lot of boxes and, you know, he may be someone who could settle into the Premier League rather quickly. Liverpool are looking at him as well, so he's obviously got something about him. I think Tursin, yeah, big defender, someone good on the ball, probably came for a, a decent fee, bags of Premier League experience. You could maybe get Van der Ven and Tosin for what it'd cost to get taps over. And I think yeah. what you need to be wary of with Tapsober as well is he will be playing in the Africa Cup of Nations come January and February. So he will miss a chunk of games potentially. Uh, so if, if that is the case, you just need to make sure you've got sufficient cover and that the levels don't drop too much because, you know, that's going to be key to ensuring Tottenham out conceding 63 goals in the league again. But... Yeah, I think for me, I think Van der Ven would be a good option. Toasting as well. And I think if you could get Longley for cheap or potentially free if Bass were going to let him go, then I think uh, that's a no brainer. I think obviously a lot of Tottenham fans have probably read up and tapped sober and want him to come in. But I think probably a lot of Tottenham fans will be feeling, well, if Angie's bringing him in and he thinks he's the right man, then I'm happy with that. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, that's the key, isn't it? This is, we always, it's always been a big thing, back the manager. And if the manager wants to go for certain players, crack on and go for these players because the closer the squad resembles one that Postacoglu wants, the better he's clearly going to do with them. Um, Yeah, just excited to kind of get it all going now as well it kind of feels like uh this is the period where we just watch so many training videos and things like this and there's transfer stuff and 
and eventually we just kind of want the matches to start. I, I want to watch that first match in, in Perth and, and see the Postacoglu football and see what we're going to get with Spurs. Um, and even if those early results in the Premier League are a little bit iffy, as they often are in Postacoglu teams while they try to adapt, I do think we're going to see better football. And hopefully, look, I know everyone has their say on on the Spurs fan base and it's it's the same as all fan bases. It's very uh, emotional and temperamental um, as all football fans are. But I would hope that it's also an intelligent enough fan base to be able to see if the football is better. And if they can see it's better, they can see there's progress being made and that there's a it's on a path to the right destination. So fingers crossed we see that pretty early on. Yeah, Gordon Strachan was actually talking about and uh, yesterday and what he'll bring to Tottenham. He said the football's going to be a breath of fresh air, really, uh, for the fans. And, you know, he's not going to be someone who changes his tactics, really, coming up against the best. And the football he will play will unsettle the best teams as well. So I think that's what all Tottenham fans want. And we're not that far away at all from the new season. It is edging ever closer. Now it's just... Just over five weeks from the first game against Brentford. I think we're 12 days away from the West Ham friendly in Firth. And yeah, I think we'll soon be getting a real look at this team Postacoglu's putting together. And it'll certainly be the West Ham game will certainly drop hints as to his plan going forward. Right. Yeah. I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Hot Tottenham as we've had plenty to discuss about Postacoglu's first week at Hotspur Way and also the transfer incomings as well. So as ever, thank you for listening and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.